All right, Daniel chapter 9, let's pray and let's dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us this morning. We do pray for the peace of Israel. We pray for your hand to be upon your people. We pray also, Lord, for, your, for wisdom and direction about us as a church, where we should be meeting. If you want us to stay here, we'll stay here gladly. If you have something else for us, may you open doors that no man can shut. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit minister to every heart. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. So Daniel, as we know, is a book that has some of the greatest prophecy in all of the Bible. The first six chapters of it are historical, though, looking at the life of Daniel. When you think of Daniel, what, is, what do you think of? Lion's Den. Why was Daniel thrown in the lion's den? What did he do that caused him to be thrown in the lion's den? What did he do? Pray. He prayed. And so this morning, uh, this ha- the second half of this chapter that we will not get to because I have 46 pages of notes. <laughs> so when I get to that many pages of notes by verse 19, we're going to look at the prophecies portion next week. So the first half Verses 1 through 19 really is going to be us listening to Daniel pray. And because this might even be one of the prayers he prayed that got him thrown in the lion's den. Daniel was a man of prayer. And we're going to learn a lot by listening to his prayer. Next week, we'll see the 70 weeks of Daniel, which is one of the most amazing prophecies in all of Scripture that is right down to the very day of things that are being fulfilled and future events. So I want to encourage you to come back next Sunday. We'll see that portion this morning. We're going to look at Daniel's prayer. If you have your outline, grab it. I tell the message, the effectual, fervent prayer of, a righteous, of the righteous avails much. Now, God desires that we should pray. How many of you guys feel like you need to pray more? My hand's up. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. I think we lose sight of it. A lot of us, we pray over our meal and we think that's a prayer life. That's not a prayer life. I'm glad you do that. Amen. But here's the reality. If you could talk to Almighty God, if he was going to come to your house and sit at your table, would you be on time to do it? And would you make sure you spent time talking to him? Well, guess what? That's what prayer is. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. We can enter into the Holy of Holies anywhere and any time. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And guys, we have not because we ask not. So what does fervent prayer look like? The word fervent literally means passionate or sincere. And fervent prayer is passionately and sincerely crying out to God. I want to encourage you that there needs to be times, some of our prayer, I I pray when I drive sometimes, I pray, you know, in those kind of places, but we need times where we turn everything else off. Maybe we get down on our knees or whatever kind of position that we can focus only on the Lord and make sure we give him all of our attention and we spend time in his presence. Now, we're going to look at five points this morning in this example of Daniel's prayer. And Daniel is praying this prayer in light of the vision that he just saw, if you were here in chapter 8. And he's praying this because he knows that the children of Israel had turned their back on God, but God was now going to allow them to go back to Babylon, out of Babylon and back to Jerusalem. And he's praying on behalf of his own people. And he's seen the, the sin they've gotten caught up into, and I want you to see how he prays for them. So first point number one, fervent prayer is not about your wants, but his will. Boy, that just changed everyone's prayer life. Amen? A lot of us, well, I need to pray because I want. I need to pray because I need. I need to pray because I want. And we made prayer about us. Guess what? Prayer's not about you. It's about him. Amen? 
Now, should we express to God the needs we have in our life? What's the answer? Yes. But guess what? Is God smarter than all of us? So when he says no, he knows what he's doing. I have several people right now that I know of that don't go to church anymore because they prayed and asked God for something and he said no. Well, I prayed and God didn't do it. And I will admit there are times when it can be frustrating when you, you know, I'll give you the, I'm transparent. You know, uh, I prayed for a lot of people who had kids that were struggling with depression and by the grace of God, God's delivered them from it. I prayed for that for my son and it didn't happen. And then my son went to heaven at 28 years old. And it would be easy to be bitter with God to say, well, why did you answer that prayer and not this one? Guys, we need to learn to trust that God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. Amen? And that he's a faithful God and he's in control. And we pray for his will, not my wants. Lord, what, what is your will? What is your desire? What is your plan? And we, he wants to hear your heart because he is our heavenly father. And by the way, our prayer should always agree with the word of God. We'll see that in this morning's text. Here's people coming to me and asking me to pray for stuff. And what they're asking me to pray for is contrary to the word. I'm like, I'm not praying for that. Amen? I, would you pray that my, that, you know, I'm, I'm dating this unsaved gal, you know, our life's kind of a mess and, you know, we got this going on and I'm praying about whether or not I should marry her. I don't need to pray about that. No, she needs to get saved first. Amen? You know, the reality is that we want to pray aligned with the word of God. And that you can't pray aligned with the word of God if you don't read the word of God. Amen? And that's why we need, I don't pray to the spirit in the sky. I don't pray to the universe. That's a bunch of nonsense. Guys, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we use Jesus' name, we're saying that Jesus agrees with this prayer. Amen? In Jesus' name, we're saying, and everything I have prayed, I know the Lord agrees with it. And may you bring it to the Father. Point number one, again, fervent prayer is not your wants, but his will. Number two, fervent prayer should, be, should begin with confession. As believers, we confess our sins when we're saved. But then as sinners, the Bible tells us that we should come and confess our sin. We should make ourselves right with God. Part of what takes place in literally every prayer we should pray is, Lord, forgive me. How many of you guys sin every day? Okay, hands on up your prideful line. So here's the reality. We do, we sin every day. If you conclude your thought life, and again, as Christians, we're not sinless, but we should sin less, amen? And as believers, you know, when we sin, the closer we are to the Lord, the shorter accounts we keep with God. As soon as we sin, if you're walking closely with the Lord, it's almost immediate that we're in a place of confession. Lord, I should not have said that. Lord, please forgive me. And so we're going to see that it, fervent prayer begins with, with forgiveness, I mean, with confession. And, for, and one of the things you need to do when we pray, and we see this in the Lord's Prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer, but it begins with, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. One of the things we should do when we pray is we should pray that who God is. Recognize who you're praying to. You guys hear me pray, and you've heard me pray many times if you come here, and I begin almost every prayer, you're a holy, righteous, just, just, faithful God. You're all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful. You're the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Do I have to remind him of that? No. Why do I do that? Because it's mindful for all of us as to who we're praying to makes the things we're praying for not that big a deal because we know how great the God is that we're praying to. Amen? Our problems are only great if our God is small. We don't serve a small God. We serve a great God. Amen? And he's greater than anything we will ever face in this life. So point number two, fervent prayer should begin with confession, recognizing God's greatness, praying in light of his goodness and his character. Number three, fervent prayer recognizes the righteousness of God and the wickedness and disobedience of man. You're new here today thinking, I've just been called wicked. Here's the reality. 
all of us are sinners and all of us fall short of the glory of God. Now, as Christians, we have been made holy and we are new creations in Christ and we've been justified just as if we've never sinned, but we're still being sanctified. We're still being molded more into the image of our Savior. We're all works in progress. And when we pray, we need to recognize he's holy. We're not apart from him. Amen. He's good. We're not apart from him. We can be in his grace, but when we pray, we know that God is holy, he's perfect, he's righteous, we're not, and we need to take our sins seriously and again, keep short accounts with God. By the way, don't make excuses for your sin. Stop it. How many of you have ever done that? Well, Lord, I wouldn't have done that. It's the woman thou gavest me, right? That's Adam. In the garden, you know, Adam blamed it on Eve. Eve blamed it on the snake. And guess what? God didn't take either one of those excuses. Amen? And too often we want to do that. Well, I only did it because. No, look, sin is sin. We need to recognize what it is. It's nobody's fault but my own, and I need to ask God to forgive me. Amen? Number four, fervent prayer allows us to come before Almighty God, not based on our righteousness, but His mercy and grace. How many of you have ever felt like, when you do something really, you know, you, when you're struggling or you do something bad, you feel like you're further from God. And then if you've been good for a while, you feel like you're closer to God. And we have this mentality where, well, you know, I haven't, I haven't, whatever the struggle is, I haven't sworn in three days, so now I'm closer to God. And again, praise the Lord when we walk in holiness. But here's the reality. We don't approach God because we're good. We approach God because he's good. And it's his mercy and grace that allows us. Now, he makes us holy at salvation. He adopts us into his family, but all the blessings we have are not because of our good works, but because of his great grace. We all deserve hell. We all deserve to be separated from God for all eternity. And well, well, I'm a good man. There are no good men. There are no good women. Amen. Why does God send good people to hell? No, here's a better question. Why does God allow sinners to heaven? And you know why? Because he's good, not because we're good. Amen. It's because of his mercy and grace. Forgiveness is not based on good works, but God's mercy. And then finally, fervent prayer seeks that only one be glorified. The focus of our prayer should not be make me rich or make me famous or make me comfortable, but God being glorified and his will be done. You know, here's the good news. We get to participate in what God is doing. Isn't that amazing that God would choose people like us? You know, the Bible says that, you know, he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so God wants to use us, so it's God's plan, it's for God's glory, and it's according to God's will, and all of that includes us. He wants us to be a part of it. He gives us gifts. He wants us to use them for his glory. By the way, the gifts he gives you are not your gifts, they're his gifts on loan to you, and he wants you to be a good steward of them, amen? So if I've been given a gift, I want to use it for the Lord. So let's begin looking there in verse 1 of Daniel 9, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails, a righteous avails much, lessons learned from his life. And so fervency is passionate, sincere, crying out to God. I can tell you that for me, my most passionate prayers are in the most desperate moments. Who can agree with that? When nothing else is going to fix it. When something is so difficult and you don't know how in the world, no amount of money is going to fix it. There's nobody can come along and fix it. And what does it make you do? It makes us more desperate in prayer. So this, this chapter begins with Daniel's understanding and application, again, of prophecy. His prayer, uh, again, is... Uh, once we hear this prayer and we read all of it, 
it's no wonder that God gave prophetic visions to Daniel because he was a man of God. When you hear somebody pray, I think you get a temperature of where they are spiritually. And we're going to see that Daniel's humble. We're going to see that Daniel's interceding on behalf of others. He's not going to point fingers, even though he wasn't participating in their sin. Just like Ezra, if you were here for Ezra 10 on Thursday, he's going to pray we, not they. And when we pray, we need to be praying we, not they all the time. Amen? So let's begin there. Again, looking at fervent prayer is not about your wants, but his will. In the first year of Darius, the son of Azarus, the lineage of the Medes, who were made king over the reign of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. So King Darius is actually the king that's going to order Daniel be thrown in the lion's den. And if you'll remember, Darius was duped by his wise men, right? Remember, they all went to pagan university. And remember that Daniel was one who stood for the things of God, and they did it, and they would bring sorcery, and they would come in with magic and all these things, and they couldn't interpret anything, and yet he kept, I don't know why he didn't fire them all. But they'd all come in with no answers. Daniel came in, would have the answer. They were jealous of him. And so when Darius became king, they said, Darius, we have all the wise men have come together, and we all believe that we need to show that everyone has allegiance to you, our king. And so we're, we're going to make an edict that they can pray only unto you. And if anybody prays to anybody other than you, we're going to throw them in the lion's den. And Darius stamped it with his ring, which made it unchangeable. And Darius loved Daniel. He saw his wisdom. And guess what? Daniel played three times a day. And when he prayed, he would open his windows and look out toward Jerusalem, and he would pray. Again, that's where the temple had been. At that point, it had been destroyed, but it was about to be rebuilt. And he would look toward Jerusalem to pray. And so all these wise men are going to gather outside the window, knowing they could not catch Daniel in anything wrong unless they outlawed his worship of God. And by the way, we might see that in this country, and we've been seeing it in this country, and we need to be careful for that. Amen? They told us during COVID, you can't you can go to Home Depot, you can't go to church. We had church anyway. We had the police to, uh, come visit us a few times, and thankfully, they didn't want to arrest pastors when they're letting you know criminals out of prison like crazy. And thankful for that. But guys, it may not it may get worse. And so we need to know we need to admit, take a stand for the Lord. And Daniel did that, and they knew that Daniel would pray, and Daniel prayed. Now, what was he praying? Well, I think he's praying some of the stuff we're going to see this morning. Who knows if this is the prayer that got him thrown in the lion's den? Because it happens during the time of Darius when this all takes place. Now, notice it says there, again, he was, we, we, he was arrested again, as we talked about, for praying. But Daniel knew that prayer was more important, and he made it a priority, and he wasn't going to just skip prayer to make his life more easy. He just wasn't going to do it. And as believers, I think, you know, you've heard this said that you can find out who likes the pastor by who comes on Sunday. You can find out, you know, who loves the word by who comes on Thursday. And you find who loves the Lord by who comes to the prayer meeting. Amen. And most of our prayer meetings have like four people. And I get it because why? We just don't make prayer the priority that it should be. But Daniel was willing to make prayer the priority because he knew that was how he was able to communicate with God and not to get his will done in heaven, but God's will done in his life. See, prayer doesn't change God's mind. It changes our hearts. The more we spend time with the Lord, the more we become more like him. 
Why do we need to pray when God already knows what we're going to pray about? Because he wants to have intimate fellowship with you. And the way he has intimate fellowship with you is when you turn everything else off, get on your knees or you know, wherever a comfortable place is, and spend some time in his presence. And if you can do it in an unhurried way. How many of you guys, a lot of your prayers are hurried? Mine are. I'll get a prayer request and, you know, and I know I've got something happening in three minutes and I'll, and I'll pray right then mainly because I don't want to forget to pray later. How many guys, get, right? You ask somebody to pray for you, they go, can you pray for me? And you go, yeah. And then you forget all about it until you're walking toward him the next time you see him. And so you start praying until you get there, right? <laughs> I forgot to pray for him. Hey, Lord bless Dan and God bless him. And hey, been praying for you, brother, right? But we don't want to forget to pray. We don't want to forget to pray. So sometimes we pray hastily, but unhurried prayer. Everybody in the Bible used mightily, suffered greatly, but they were also prayer warriors. And we'll talk about that. Notice he says, by the books. What books he talking about? The word of God. Now keep in mind in Daniel's day, of course, they didn't have the complete revelation. He's writing some of the books right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. But he did have, we see in this text, he had the book of Jeremiah. And in reading Jeremiah, there's prophecy in Jeremiah of how long that they would be in captivity in Babylon. It was written a couple hundred years earlier. And he, writing, he writes these words, and it's telling them that they're going to be in Babylon, taken away into captivity by King Nebuchadnezzar, and they're going to be there for 70 years. So Daniel's reading on a scroll, the scroll of Isaiah or Jeremiah, and as he reads it, he's like, 70 years. Hey, we've been here like 69 and a half years. We're about to go home. And so he, he recognizes what the word of God says. And so now he's going to start praying, thanking God for the promise he made that they would be delivered at a certain time. Guys, we read the Bible and we have promises in God's word. And when we pray, if we know what the word of God says, we can pray according to his word and his will, not our wants. Amen? God, you tell me in your word that you're faithful and just, that if I raise up my children the way that they should go, they will not depart from it. And Lord, I want to pray for my children. I want to pray for my grandchildren. I want to pray that they love, grow up to love and serve and honor you. And help me to be a good dad. Help me to be a good mom. Help us to be good parents. Help us to raise them in the Lord. See, you're praying according to what the word of God has already told you. And guys, when you do that, you can pray with confidence. Amen. Too often we come, well, Lord, I'm not sure you want to do this, but let me, uh, right? And we come before him and we have these mealy mouth, wimpy prayers because they're not in agreement with the word of God. And we want to pray according to the word of God. Daniel could not have read 2 Timothy 3. It hadn't been written yet, but here's what we know from 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. The number of years specified by the word, he says there in the text, in Jeremiah 25, it tells us, and the whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So he read it right there. Now, I'm going to quote another verse that you'll finally get the context for. In Jeremiah 29, it says this, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you, perform my good word towards you, and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Some of you have Jeremiah 29, 11 on your wall at home. It's a verse we quote often. That's the context. The context is they've been in captivity their captivity is coming to an end, and God is going to bring them back home to the land of promise 
where he, they can worship the true and living God again. And that's when he says to them, I know the thoughts I have towards you. Do you know the Lord knows the thoughts he has towards you? Do you know the Lord knows everything you struggle with, every difficulty that goes to your life? Bible says in James, count all joy when you fall into various trials. In the midst of those trials, if you're a believer, you never walk through them alone. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he is a faithful God. Daniel read these passages. He understood their time in captivity was coming to an end. And although he didn't know the exact date necessarily, because they kind of came in waves, so he didn't know which date it was based on, but he knew they were getting close. Notice it says there at the end of that verse, that he would accomplish, verse 2, 70 years of desolation in Jerusalem, of Jerusalem. So Daniel believed that God would accomplish the 70 years of captivity, yet he prayed passionately that God would do what he already promised. Daniel knew God's promises, and and God's promises invite our prayer and our participation. When God has a promise, it invites our prayer and our participation. The Bible says to pray for the peace of Israel. Why do we do that? God wants us to pray for the peace of Israel. Amen. And when we do, we're praying according to his word and we can pray it with confidence, but he also wants our participation. It may be that God wants us. I keep, I'll tell you what, I've had so many witnessing opportunities because of what's taken place in the Middle East and all of them have been with Jewish people. And when I see someone wearing a, you know, they're, they're wearing the Jewish gear and I see them and I walk over, hey, are you are you, are you Jewish? Yes. I said, I just want you to know that we're praying for Israel. And a lot of times we're more passionate about Israel than they are. But here's the reality. It's an opportunity and we can tell them that we know that God will bless those who bless Israel and curse those who curse Israel. Why? Because the Bible says. And so we don't pray amiss. And a lot of our prayer, well, God didn't answer my prayer. I was praying that he'd give me that, that promotion at work and God already knows you get that promotion you know less time with your family is going to destroy your marriage no it's not what's best for you no guys God when God says no we should praise him for it amen when God doesn't give us what we want he's smarter than we are and praise God when he says no praise God when he says wait boy that's hard when we get that one amen you know what Daniel knew God's promises again invite our prayers and participation and they do not exclude our prayers and participation. Nothing could be better for us than to pray for and then to ask for what he promised in agreement with his word. God allows us to participate in his eternal plan, and God's plan was always 70 years of captivity. Why did they have to go into captivity to begin with? Because they were worshiping idols. They had turned away from the true and living God. And because of that, he allowed them to be taken captive, that they might come to the end of themselves and cry out to the Lord. So Jeremiah prophesied. Daniel prayed, Cyrus made a proclamation, and all of that fulfilled God's plan. If you were here for Ezra, and they went back and rebuilt Jerusalem. So God's word said it was going to happen. It did happen. And Daniel, some of the stuff we're going to look at next week are things in the future. And because of all these prophecies of Daniel that have already taken place, exactly as the Bible said, we can trust that the future prophecies will take place as well. Amen? God's word says it, that settles it. Verse three, then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Daniel took his prayer seriously. I don't take all of my prayers serious enough. How about you? There are times when I am, there's times when I'll sit aside. I, I love I don't, this may or may not work for you. I try to do this on Tuesdays. All the prayer requests I get from the church, I go do a prayer walk. I have a park near my house that has about a two-third of a mile track around it. 
and I will take the prayers and I will walk and just pray. And, and as, as I'm walking, I'm not listening to anybody else. I'm not looking at anything else. I read the prayer request and I pray all the way through it. And then I take the next prayer request and just keep doing it. And so I'm getting cardio and I'm praying all at the same time. You know what I mean? But the point is that whatever, you know, because I'm not distracted there. I, don't, I turn my phone off. I don't want my phone to ring. So if you call me on a Tuesday morning, I don't answer. I will call you back when I'm done praying for you. Amen? But the, but the reality is that we need to have, make prayer a priority. And look how he does. First, he says, I set my face. It speaks of Daniel's determination in his prayer. Daniel was fervent in his prayer, a man who would not be denied. And knowing, knowing uh, he prayed for the will of God and was not motivated by any selfish desires. He said, I set my face. He's looking toward God. Get your eyes off of you and get your eyes on the Lord. Amen. We all struggle with that. My three favorite people, me, myself, and I, right? We're all selfish. We're all self-centered. We're all self-focused. I've used this analogy before. Some of you are new. I'm going to prove you're selfish just like me and everyone else in here. If I took a picture of this room, blew up the picture, and put it on the wall, and you walked up to look at it, whose picture are you looking for first? And you will determine whether that's a good picture or not based on how you look. Can I get an amen to that? And if you look good, we need to make copies of that and put it on the website. If you look goofy, retake. And here's the reality. Whenever I take pictures, we don't do selfies in my family. We do ussies, right? Like me and my wife or whatever. We take a picture. We'll take five pictures. My wife will go, don't be posting any of that until I get approval. You know what I mean? Anybody else's spouse say that sometimes? Oh, no, no, not that one. Don't post that one. You're going to be in trouble. But here's the reality. We focus too much on ourselves. And prayer should never be about me. It should always be about him. And he says, I set my face. He puts his eyes, his face, his passion, his focus on the Lord. And he says, to make requests by prayer and supplication. Daniel wasn't passive as God's prophetic plan was unfolding before him. He made a request asking God to perform his promise in a way that he thought would bring God the most glory. The fact that the time was near affected Daniel so intensely, it drove him to his knees in prayer. You know, when we come to grips with prophecy, it ought to have the same impact on us. Some people like to just argue over prophecy. I said this last week. Well, what do you think? What are well, you pan-trip, pre-trip? And it, look, we're pre-trip, pre-millennial. It's what the Bible teaches. Everyone else is wrong, but we don't have to be arrogant about it, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, right? But not really. But yeah, we're kind of just kidding. But the point I'm making is we can divide over secondary issues. We can divide over non-essentials, and they'll all be glad when they go with us at the beginning and don't have to be here for the Antichrist. Amen? But the word of God, we can, too, we can learn prophecy so we can argue with other Christians. That's not why we're supposed to learn prophecy, amen? You know why we learn prophecy? So it prepares us and motivates us that the time is coming near. And so that we will be about the kingdom of God. It'll give us an eternal perspective, a burden for people who are lost, knowing we don't have the promise of tomorrow. And so the prophetic thing stirred Daniel up. He saw what was coming. And it brought him to a place of prayer. Supplication means intercession on, on behalf of other people. I want to encourage you. Can I encourage you? Pr start praying more for other people and maybe less for yourself. It's okay to pray for yourself. It's okay to come before the Lord. He wants, you to, he wants to hear your heart. It's fine. But we need to pray for others. And when you intercede on someone else's behalf, and that's exactly, exactly what Daniel is going to do as we continue through these verses. It drove him to intense prayer because he knew 
that the prophecy was about to take place. Daniel reads in Jeremiah that God was going to keep his people captive for 70 years and then release him, and he believed it. Guys, it's not enough to read what the Word says. We need to believe it and then take actions based on it. Amen? Well, I know the Word of God really well, and I've studied it in the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic, and I got the past participle of the verb, and the high... And you got these people, and they're, well, yeah, and I've studied, and I've read 700 books. Well, how about reading these 66 right here? That's a good idea. Amen? And the problem is that we can become so, you know, theology, and again, I'm all for theology. I love theology. I love doctrine. I love the Word of God. I love apologetics. I love all of it. But I want to say this. It's not just so we learn so we can debate other Christians. That's, by the, I tell my brother, my brother has a different perspective on some things in the Bible, um, he's Reformed theology. If you're Reformed, God bless you. We love you, but you're wrong. But here's the thing. <laughs> he, he, he loves to sit there and debate me. Every time I go to his house, he wants to spend five hours talking about it. I'm like, we're on the same team, man. This is an intramural scrimmage. Let's go talk to some people that need Jesus instead. How about we do that? Amen? <laughs> Let's go do that. So he did his strange thing. He began to pray that God would do what God said he was going to do. Why would you pray that God would do what God said he was going to do? Because God tells you to pray that he would do what God's told him to do, he said he's going to do. Amen? And you can pray it with confidence. And you know what else, too? The more confident we are in the word of God, the less afraid we are to share it with other people. Amen? Amen? When we have confidence, by the way, 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, 1,500 years, one central theme, no contradictions. How is that possible? Because... Because God wrote the book. And so, guys, when we know that, when we spend time in it, it equips us to be prepared to share with people that so def- desperately need Jesus. So if God already knows, why do we pray? Again, we discover one of the most tremendous pr- principles about prayer. God knows his plan. And even when he reveals his plan to us, he expects us to pray over that plan. It says this in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Now, this is confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we have asked of him. He's only saying is, look, when you read the word of God and you ask him for it, you know it's according to his will, and you know that that's a prayer he will answer. Here's a prayer I pray every day, and I know many of you have started praying the same prayer. I pray every day for divine appointments. Lord, you've called me to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel, baptize the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I know that's what you've called me to do. I know that's what you called every Christian to do. So Lord, today I'm going to ask in Jesus' name that you would give me divine appointments to share that gospel that you've proclaimed that I need to go share with others. Bring people into my path that I can encourage them in their faith if they know you, or I can tell them about you if they don't. I'll tell you what, I pray that every day, and it happens every day. Why does it happen? Because you, you know what happens too? Prayer doesn't change God's mind, it changes your heart. And when you're praying for that, do you think you're a little more sensitive to it? I'll be in line at the grocery store going, oh, this might be a divine appointment right here. Hey, bro, what's going on, man? What are you doing here? What's your name? My, my name's Dave. Wait a minute. Start talking. We're talking about Jesus after 30 seconds, and it's not forced, it just happens. And God will just bring people your path, right? And so Daniel's praying with that confidence that he knows this is what God has called me to do. And he's praying for God's will. To be done. The biggest thing, the biggest waste of time in Christendom is to pray that God would do things that he's not going to do. And Daniel prayed that his people would come into conformity with the word of God. And again, I prayed about dating this unbeliever and I have a peace about it. Uh, you might have a peace, but you're in direct disobedience to Almighty God. This is why the Mormons are wrong when they say, read the book of Mormon, you'll have a burning in your bosom. I get a burning in my bosom when I eat a chili dog. That doesn't mean it's true. 
Amen? It's not, so we don't need a burning in a bosom. We need the whole counsel of God. We need to be able to read what the word of God says, and we need to walk in obedience to what the word of God says. Amen? It's not, well, but I feel. I don't, your, have your feelings ever lied to you? They lie to you every day. They lie to you every day. My, my feelings, I think I've got hair. I, they lie to you, right? <laughs> so you have these feelings, and we base things on our feelings, and we base things on our feelings. Guess what? Um, the feelings lie. The Word of God never does, though. Amen? You may think you have a peace that didn't come from God. Prayer goes out of the Word. Notice at the end of that, he says, he prays with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. This reflected Daniel's heart in approaching God. Fasting and sackcloth and ashes are emblems of humiliation and mourning. They would pour ashes on themselves when they were mourning. They would rent their clothes, and they would fast. And you know what happens when you fast? When we fast, we take the focus off of our physical desires to focus on the Lord. We set that aside and we make him the passion and the priority and the focus of what we're looking to. Again, sackcloth, garments of mourning over his people, fasting, denying yourself, your fleshly desires, and ashes speak of unworthiness. And fervent prayer was, an intent, was intense and involved in clearly directed prayer that was void of self. Just quickly, we'll move on. But Daniel accompanied his prayer with fasting but we don't talk about fasting that much. And maybe some of you have never fasted and prayed. And I don't fast and pray as much as I should. Uh, for years, I fasted every Monday with a buddy of mine just to pray specifically for two daughters that he had that had cystic fibrosis. And we, pray, we fasted every Monday for years. And we would just take our lunchtime. We worked in the same office to pray. But here's the thing. Jesus fasted. Paul fasted. Isaiah fasted. Daniel fasted. Ezra fasted. Esther fasted, David fasted, Hannah fasted, Elijah fasted, Ezra fasted, Nehemiah fasted, Zechariah fasted. Sounds like God's hall of fame, doesn't it? They fasted and they prayed. Fasting not done is outward piety. Oh, I'm fasting, brother. Oh, we're all going to go out to lunch. Oh, you'll have to pass by me because I'm so spiritual and I'm fasting. So I'll just have water while all you pagans chow down on your food. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you know, you have people that fast and they make sure everybody knows it. If you're fasting, keep it to yourself. It's between you and the Lord. Amen? But there's no question that sometimes fasting promotes fervency in our prayer. It's a time when we say no to our physical desires and make him the priority. So point number one there is, and I'll move quicker, guys. Don't sweat it. You're already looking at your watches thinking, what happened? And if I don't finish, well, I told you 46 pages of notes. Don't panic. I mean, if you got a brunch thing, you're going to be late. Now, Verse number two, fervent prayer should begin with confession. Look at verse four. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. The language of prayer. I love that he has a heart to confess. Confession should be where our prayer begins. When we pray with, what we're doing with confession is we're getting right with God. You know, it talks about, like, if you're going to go to the Lord's table and you have something against your brother, don't even go to the Lord's table. Go find your brother and confess and make things right, and then you can come back and take it. And I think too often, I think we don't, you know, we'll, we'll just free, we'll ignore what we did. And the more spiritually mature we come, the quicker we are to confess. So he began his prayer by confessing to the Lord. And then it says, now watch how he addresses God. O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those that love him and with those who keep his commandments. First thing he does is praise. Hallowed be thy name, right? Know the person you're praying to, and then we give him praise. 
And again, I think for Daniel and for me and for you, when we pray that way, it makes us recognize that our God is way greater than whatever we're praying about. No matter how great cancer may be, our God is greater. No matter how great a, a child walking in rebellion may be, our God is greater. Uh, how, how difficult our financial situation may be, God is greater. Guys, we serve a great God, and when we serve a great God, we ought to pray and remind ourselves and speak to him, oh Lord, great and awesome God. Guys, we serve an awesome God, amen? That word awesome gets thrown around a lot, only he deserves it. Nothing else is awesome. He's awesome. Amen? He's awe-inspiring. That's the God we serve. So Daniel began his prayer where we all should by recognizing the greatness and the goodness of our God. It's so important that we understand his greatness and he's the one we're praying to. And again, in our trials, our concerns are nothing in light of the greatness of God. And we must pray in light of his goodness and his character. And again, I hear people say, I'm mad at God. He didn't answer my prayer. They're putting God on trial because they didn't answer the way he wanted them to. Guys, it's not my will, it's thy will. It's thy will be done, not mine. Notice what it says there. He keeps his covenant and mercy with those that love him and those that keep his commandments. Isn't it interesting? His covenant, that's a promise. God made a promise to those who follow him. And he keeps that promise to those that love him and keep his commandments. Now, these are, that's us. Now, do we always keep his commandments? What's the answer? No, but when we do, we bring confession and we're heartbroken before him and, and we ask for forgiveness and he restores us. But we live our lives in light of the word of God and we live our lives in, again, because we love the Lord. Why do we come to church? If you come to church to earn brownie points with God, you're here for the wrong reason. If you come to church, we should come here because we love him. We want to worship him. We want to get to know him better because to know him better is to love him more. Amen. You know, when I read his book, when I read the Bible, I get to know him better, and the better I get to know him, the more I love him. He is merciful to those that love him and obey his word. Mercy is not being given what we deserve. I hear people say, that I didn't deserve that. Do you want what you deserve? <laughs> no, you don't, and neither do I, amen? You know, I'm thankful for God's grace. I'm thankful for God's mercy, but notice, he reserves that for the people that love him and follow him, because the mercy of God will not be given to those who reject him. And that's why we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. We should be burdened for people that have rejected the grace of God, have rejected the mercy of God, are living their own lives, are headed apart, away from the Lord. We know the Lord doesn't make us better than anybody, but it gives us the opportunity to tell them, this is who I was, and then I met Jesus, and this is who I am now. That's my testimony. I have the promise of eternal life, and guess what? I've been adopted into his family. He's an amazing dad. He'll adopt you too if you will let him. Amen? And so we need to have that heart and recognize that the promises of God are not for those who walk in rebellion against God. Well, God loves everybody. Yes, he does. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. But if you shake your fist at God, want nothing to do with God, and you re reject God, you cannot claim the promises of God. Amen? And he's making it very clear in his prayer. Now, notice what he says here in verse 5. We have, done, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We've done wicked wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Notice he doesn't say they have sinned. Because is, is he worshiping idols? What's the answer? Do you know that Daniel's life, we got 70 years of it in the Bible. We know he's a sinner because all men are, but not one recorded sin for Daniel in the entire Bible, not one. Now we know he's a sinner because we all are, but he could have easily been self-righteous and said, look at these people you gave me. What a train wreck they are. I can't, even, I can't even look at them. I'm so holy and they're such disgusting individuals. 
Lord, smoke them if you need to. He didn't do that. What does he do? We have sinned against you because you've used we as his nation, as his people. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. We need forgiveness. And when we come to other people, guys, we need to recognize we're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? What did Paul say early in his ministry? He said, I'm the least of the apostles. And then you fast forward about 30 years or so, at the end of his ministry, he calls himself the chief of sinners. He had grown in, in his relationship with the Lord, and it didn't make him feel like he was more worthy and make him recognize how desperately he needed the Lord. The closer we get to the Lord, the more we hate the sin in our own lives. Amen? So he says there in verse 6, Neither have we heeded your servants and prophets who spoke your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. See, he said, we departed from your precepts. We haven't listened to what you've taught us and your judgments, and we've not heeded your word. And most of us, when I do counseling for people that are really going through a difficult time, most often it's real simple, departed from the word. You know why marriages fall apart? Because husbands don't lead. Because husbands aren't loving, serving, laying down their life for their wives. They're not providing for them the way that God's called them to do it. And then why do they, when a wife doesn't submit to her husband and be a source of encouragement to, her, to him and hold up his hands and be a Proverbs 31 woman. I've never had anybody come for a divorce when a man's on fire for God, loving, serving the Lord and loving and serving and caring for his wife and his children. And a wife who's his perfect helpmate who stands next to him and they walk hand in hand together and they pray together and they seek the Lord. That's divorce proof right there. Amen. When we, when we're, oh, I haven't read the word. I don't, I'm not in the word. I don't pray much. I'll sit down people. When's the last time you guys prayed together? Uh, uh, well, how's your devotional life? Uh, and then they wonder why their marriage is a mess. You know why? Because marriage has three people in it. You, your spouse, and the Lord. Amen? He created it, and if he's not a part of it, by the way, you prayed for him at the wedding, you prayed to him at the wedding, invite him to come live in your house. Amen? We need the Lord there. And so here they are. He said, look, we've done wickedly. We've ignored the Lord. We've ignored his word. That's how we ended up worshiping idols. That's how we got caught up in the culture and the things of the world. To point number two, fervent prayer should begin with confession. Point number three, fervent prayer recognizes the righteousness of God and the wickedness and disobedience of man. Look at verse seven. O Lord, righteousness belongs to me. That's not what it says, right? Righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face. As it is this day, the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all Israel, those near, those far off in countries to which you have driven them because of unfaithfulness, which they have committed against you. He's saying, look, when you're unfaithful to God, then the consequences will come. Look at verse eight. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. You know, the, the most arrogant thing we can do is sin and then never act like we've sinned. And that's the world we live in today. People live lives so contrary to the word of God. And if you even bring up God, they, hey man, I'm living my own life. It's my truth. Your truth is a lie. Amen. There's only one truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Everything else is a lie. Amen. What's well, my feelings? It's my truth. And it's, just, it's just me. It's how I feel. So what? God doesn't, here's a real, I'm so sick of that, but I feel, and again, feelings lie to us. We have a, there's men and women. There's the truth. How is that hard to understand? 
And now people have a hard time understanding that. I just read, I just said, I think she said, I'm trigendered. I'm like, you're what? You're trigendered. Try, try being one gender. How about doing that? And the reality is, though, what happens is we get caught. Why, do people, why are people struggling with all this stuff? Read Genesis. God made the male and female. God doesn't make mistakes. The way God made you, that's who you are. Can I get an amen to that? And if you're struggling, it not, has nothing to do with your gender. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with your relationship with the Lord. So fervent prayer contrasts, contrasts the righteousness of God and the wickedness of men. God is holy. He's perfect. He's righteous. We're not. So why should we try? Just, just do what your gut says. That is the worst advice ever. Just go with your gut. Go with your feelings. No, I'm going to go with God. Amen? Because my gut is wrong often. Amen? We have sinned against you. We need to recognize our sin. We've sinned. We've committed addict, addict, uh, iniquity, as he says. We've done wickedly. We've departed from his word. First Titus says this, this is a safe, faithful saving worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of which I am chief. Paul wrote that to Timothy. I'm the chief sinner. We're all sinners in need of a savior. We're all works in progress. We're all sinners saved by grace. We need to come to a point where we love God and we hate sin, not make excuses for it. Failure is, is always on our side. God is never wrong. God has never done anything wrong. God is always right. God is always perfect. God is always holy. And God's way is always the best way. Amen? And when we question that or doubt that, we're going to lead ourselves in the wrong direction. Look at verse 9. It says there in verse 9 and 10, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of our Lord God to walk in his laws, which we set before us by his servants, the prophets. God, in case we didn't know what we should be doing, God wrote it down. And then through the centuries, he had people protect it and deliver it to us. This is a Jewish book written by, by Jewish people about a Jewish savior, but it applies to every one of us. Amen. So God's, because people are like, well, it's so hard to understand God. Have you read his book? It's a bestseller. You should read it. And if you open up his word, we have all understanding. And if we don't understand, it's not God's fault. It's ours. Daniel did not make an excuse, even the slightest excuse for Israel's sin. He knew that the fault belonged to Israel and to Israel alone. And we can be quick to make excuses for our sin and often making excuses even when we confess. Well, I'm going to confess this, but you really know it's my boss's fault. We need to come confess and we need to come humble. Look at verse 11. It says there, yes, all Israel has transgressed your law. How much of Israel? All Israel. All the world has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses that the servant of God has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. If we look at our world today, is it, how's our world doing? Total chaos and a total mess. And let me tell you why. It's not because some people think they own a part of land and other people think they own it. It's not because of uh, what's going on in the government. It's not because of racism or genderism or homophobia, whatever. You know what it is? Because our world has turned its back on God. That's the problem. That's the only problem. Guys, if we would all turn and, and repent and surrender our life to the Lord, it would change everything overnight. Amen? And by the way, wouldn't it be amazing to live on this planet where everyone loved the Lord? Wouldn't it be amazing if God was on the throne here on the planet? Guess what? It's coming. It's called the millennial kingdom. Amen? And there will be some unbelievers there, but after, we're, after the rapture of the church and after we come back, we're going to come back with the Lord. We're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years on the earth, and we're going to see what the world would be like with Almighty God on the throne, and I'm looking forward to that. Amen? 
There are people, if I ask you right now if you wanted the rapture to happen today, some of you go, well, no, my playoff team's playing it too, so can't wait till after that. Guys, when we get to heaven, we're not going to regret how quickly he came. Amen? I long for it. I know there are things in this life that some of us might be passionate about, but it's so much better. Daniel, again, didn't make excuses. Then in both the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God gave warnings to Israel about what would happen if they disobeyed him. It said in Leviticus, I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. He says that in Leviticus, and by the time we get to, first, to, to Chronicles, he has to carry it out. It also says in 2 Chronicles, if, here's the, okay, so Israel's rebelled against God. Their nation's been wiped out. They've been taken into captivity. And guess what? The Word of God not only tells them that would happen, but it also gives a solution. You want to hear the solution to that? How do we fix it? First Chronicles 7, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from my wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land, heal the land. God wants to heal our land and the people called by his name. That's the main context there is Israel, but I believe it applies to us as well. Look at verse 12 and 13. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. Sometimes one of the best things that can happen to us is a disaster. And the reason for that is it brings us to the end of ourselves so we might look up. What did it take to get Jerusalem to turn their eyes back toward the Lord? Captivity. Being drawn away, drug away from where they went, being enslaved. And we see this throughout scripture. And sometimes, here's a prayer I pray when you have prodigal sons and daughters or when you have people that are really struggling. I'll pray, Lord, do whatever's necessary to get their attention. Please protect them from the ultimate harm. But Lord, I'd rather have my son in jail than have him be dead. Amen? I'd rather have my son go through something or my daughter, whoever your children are, that going through something very difficult so they will come to the end of themselves and they will look up. And so this disaster this captivity is something that needed to take place for Jerusalem to get their eyes back on the Lord. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we've not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. He said, even if, you know, we've gone through the disaster, we're still not praying. You know when people pray the most in our, you want to know when, when the most prayerful times, when all the churches in our country were packed? 9-11. When 9-11 happened, our church in Santa Cruz doubled in size overnight. Why? A disaster happened. We might be under attack from terrorists. You know what? We may be, I need to get my act right with God. I used to go to church. I need to go back there now. Now, a lot of those people that came for 9-11 didn't stay very long. Oh, we normalized our life, but the disaster gets people's attention. And you know what? Sometimes disasters aren't the worst thing that can happen. God is faithful to, to his promise of grace and mercy for those who repent and surrender, again, obedience brings blessings and sin brings consequences. Let me go a couple more verses here. I might not finish and that's okay. Verse, verse 14, therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. He's saying, look, the disaster was God's plan to bring his people home. 
them going through the trials they had to go through to get their eyes looking up. And again, I, I said this earlier, when do you pray the most fervently? When you're going through the, the greatest trials. It's those things that drives, draw us to our knees and drive us to our knees to cry out to God. Verse 15, and now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is to this day. We have sinned and we have done wickedly. He's saying, look, you brought us out of the land of Egypt. You can deliver us out of the Babylonian captivity. Lord, we've seen you do it in the past when we repented, when we cried out to you and the Passover, the blood of the lamb and the shape of a cross. We were delivered out of bondage. We saw you do it before. We know you can do it again. Lord, we repented then. If we repent now, Lord, we know you will show up. We trust you, God, if we will surrender our lives to you. I truly believe that if God if we would repent as a nation, that God could make our nation greater than it's ever been. But that's going to take the hand of God for that to happen. Amen? We know at the end times, it says things will grow worse and worse. And we might be in that, we might be in that direction right now. But we should pray for revival before we come to that place. Look at verse 15. Probably end here. And now, O Lord God, brought your people out of the land of Egypt, like I said. And again, he's done this. We have sinned and we've done wickedly. So God delivered them before and God can deliver them again. Let me go through verse 18. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray that your anger and your fury be turned away from your mountain because of our sins and our iniquities of our fathers in Jerusalem. Your people are reproached all around us. Guys, why are we going through such a tough time? Because we're disobeying God. Why has things become difficult for his own children? Because they were walking in contrary to his word and to his will. We have not walked according to your righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's not the culture's righteousness. It's his righteousness. Now, therefore, O God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear here. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deed, but because of your great mercy. Can you just, can you feel the passion and the fervency in his prayer right there? Oh Lord, please, I know we've blown it. Lord, I know it's our fault. And Lord, it's not your fault. And Lord, I'm asking you to forgive us. I'm asking you to redeem us. I'm asking you to draw us back into yourself. I'm asking you to, to deliver us like you did in Egypt. And Lord, I know we don't deserve it. And we're not going to get it because we've been so righteous. It's only because of your grace that this could possibly happen. Guys, that's fervent prayer right there. Amen? And may we pray with that same fervency. I've got the last verse. One more verse. When a pastor says we're almost done, you know what that means? We're not almost done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing. I even like that better word. Now watch, last verse. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your city and your people are called by your name. He's saying, oh Lord, forgive. Why? For your name. These are your people. Lord, forgive because they belong to you. Lord, forgive me because I belong to you. Lord, save my marriage because we belong to you. Lord, draw my rebellious kids back home because we belong to you. And I love that heart and I love that passion. That's the last point. Fervent prayer seeks that only one be glorified. Look, he's saying, do this for your glory. Bring restoration so that your name will be glorified. When I pray for people often, especially people maybe have cancer or something like that, and you're praying for them, you say, Lord, I pray that you would heal them and through it, that you would be glorified, that the whole family would get saved when they see your healing touch upon them. Guys, we want to pray not for our comfort, but for his glory. Amen?
Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. And Lord, as we look at the fervent prayer of Daniel, a man who prayed knowing it would throw him in the lion's den, a man who would not compromise in his prayer life, Lord, may we learn from his fervency, his passion to pray. May we learn to pray not according to our will, but according to your word. And Lord, may we pray more often. May we pray undistracted. May we take time to come before you. And again, may we pray according to your word because we read your word and we know what your word says and we know what your promises are. You are a great God, an awesome God, a holy God, a faithful God, a loving God, and a merciful God. And I pray for anybody here today that doesn't know you that today would be the day of salvation. And they would come confessing before you, asking for forgiveness, surrendering their lives to you. They would be born again. I pray for those who are here this morning that are in great difficulty and great trials. And Lord, I pray if they're outside of your will, that they would come back to you again. I pray, Lord, for those that are going through difficulty, that they would recognize how great you are and in comparison how small our troubles are compared to you. So Lord, be glorified. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. See where the-